gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and today we'll be discussing the best WWE tag teams of the 2010s. Now, we are literally weeks away from entering a new decade, so what better to look back at some of the most uh, exciting and most engaging tag teams we've seen in the WWE. Uh, but before we do that, um, if you're new to the show, make sure you're following us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And be sure to subscribe to the show on all good podcasting sites, including iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. Uh, we're also on Patreon now. So follow us at patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet for a fresh ton of bonus content from just $4 a month. Uh, you can catch the Raw Report, Saturday Smackdown, Wednesday Night Wars, and many other uh, great articles uh, in between. And also don't forget to visit uh, our community page on Facebook where you can join in with the discussion. Uh, such as topics such as this and yep just uh, we encourage you to get involved so let's meet uh, today's panel oh don't you dare be sour it's sarah grieve how are you <laughs> i'm doing all right Dave. thank you very much how are you i'm doing all right it's, uh, it's a dark winter night but uh, we'll uh, hopefully make your make your thursday a little bit better today i mean we're gonna make it iconic david <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself and say yeah, it's Ross McLeod. Ross, how are you? <laughs> I'm just here to talk about Billy Gunn's 2014 run in WWE. I can't yeah, believe just, we're letting him do this. Yeah, this is his only opportunity to talk about the New Age Outlaws that fits the I am an ass man, damn it. <laughs> the world I'm surprised you've not converted to AEW just yet as well, given that he's, uh, he's come up there now. I don't like him that much. Oh. <laughs> Gee, I never realised. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, Quacker's not with us today, but the show will go on nonetheless. So we're going to kick things off with a team I used for your intro, Sarah. Now, a lot would regard these guys as more of a faction, but they first arrived on the scene in late 2014. But they have become arguably the most influential sort of tag team slash faction in the last. Uh, last few years i'm talking of course about the new day so sarah i'm going to kick things off what has been what has made the new day such um such a legendary tag team in the space of the last five years or so i mean like yeah because since when they debuted in 2014 as that stable like i i watched back and like in the comparison of what they were like when they first debuted to what they're like now and the difference even though it's the same guys and the sort of same mentality, like the whole power of positivity thing, they went from really, really annoyingly horrible, like, preachers and um, trying to force things on you, where now they're just, like, the larger-than-life want to enjoy everything. It, it just... They remind me a lot of, like, more than hype, because they're just, like, the guys that want to have a laugh with each other, and they just want to have <coughs> fun and happy to be there. That's the power of positivity for you. They just spread it everywhere they go. Exactly. I mean, you can't be unhappy when the new day are cooking around. Yeah. And Ross, when um, when there were sort of teases that Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston and Big E were going to form a stable, it looked as if uh, Xavier Woods coming out dressed in his, in his suit and tie, 
you'd have thought there'd have been a much more serious-looking stable going forward. So what was your first impression when you found out that they did somewhat of a, a bit of a swerve and went to something a bit more happy, light, and annoyingly positive rather than something a bit more serious? Yeah, um, it was a bit weird because they appeared on a couple of episodes of Main Event, you know, when that was still a thing, uh, to attack people. and I think it still is a thing. Jesus. Uh, well, when it was still relevant. Okay. Um, but yeah, they attacked people, they took people out, and then they just sort of disappeared for weeks on end. And then obviously we started getting these gospel choirs appearing, saying it's a new day, it's a new day. And then the first time you see somebody is when Kofi Kingston jumps in and he jumps up on this gospel stage and starts spouting about positivity and you're just like... This looks awful. Because, mm. look, bear in mind, we're talking about tag teams of the decade. This was Kofi Kingston's third tag team of the decade. He'd already <laughs> teamed with Evan Baum in Our Truth. That is right, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they um, they were, but they, I think they sort of capitalised on that initial heel heat of the fact that they were so annoyingly positive and they had the the whole clap going on, the the three claps. But um, they, they turned it around from the new... The audience were sort of chanting, New Day sucks, and they turned it into New Day rocks. So do you think having that audience participation either helped, helped them a bit? I think... Originally, I don't think it was audience participation. I think it was the the traditional expat heat, the, the go-away heat. Mm. And I think when they allowed them to become almost like a Bo Dallas. Uh, they're not saying boo, they're saying Bo, you know, mm-hmm. so obnoxious, so stupid. And then when they defeated Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, you know, they were still faces up until that match. And it was during that match they started busting out heel moves and, you know, heel shenanigans. I think going full scale with this, leading into a small heel turn and then turning them back face when the audience started to like them again, Mm-hmm. it's something we talk about with the likes of Rusev and uh, other people who have gotten over when they weren't meant to let it progress naturally and the fans will take to it and I think this is one of the few times WWE's been very meticulous with how they book a book a faction yeah and Sarah they were predominantly heelish characters for sort of around maybe the first year or so but when they began that historic 482 day uh tag title reign they, they sort of transitioned into heels or, uh, sorry faces uh, in sort of early 2016 and since then they've they've become probably one of the most popular tag teams in recent memory how do you think that tag team championship defined them as one of the best the best ever I mean like see remember you're, when you're looking at them being like the longest reign tag team champions like we all knew why it was happening at that particular but I think just when it came to like there's just a slow face turn, even though they were still doing the exact same things, they were you can see that they're having a little bit more fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the uh, where the fans started to actually get on board with them because you can just you could just sort of see as soon as they is like oh no if maybe if we believe it for long enough then it's going to be true and then just just one of these days 
I think it's like I can't remember what team they were against, but the, someone so hated that they're like, "We're going to support the New Day in this because we don't like those guys." <laughs> that's that's essentially what it was, and then just it, it just it, it turned to them just sort of like having these over the top, over the top things that people just found hilarious, and it, it just again it got them over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're referring to the League of Nations when you're talking about a team that was so hated that you're just going to cheer for the New Day regardless. Like, yeah, because he called them the League of Booty. League of Booty, because, yeah. <laughs> uh, and on the subject of Booty, Ross, um, they, <laughs> uh, they started to become a bit more sort of commercialised a bit. You know, they were releasing cereal, they were promoting pancakes and everything. Like, a lot of really sort of breakfast-related items. Like, do you really think this helps um, Helps them from a sort of WWE's commercial aspect? Um, well, obviously, we mentioned uh, their gimmick, how they were hated at first. The uh, WWE 24 documentary about WrestleMania 32, they mm-hmm. talk about how WrestleMania 31, they were on the pre-show, booed out the building. WrestleMania 32, they were the top sellers that weekend. Yeah, I think as long as you're making the company money, they're still going to feature you, and they're still. Like, I don't think there's a danger of them breaking up ever. To be honest, I think the time to break them up's passed. I think they're just asserted as a tag team now, and you know, Kofi's had his world title run. I don't think any of them would complain about being the new day for the rest of their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sarah, just to sort of mention Kofi Kingston, he's had a he's had a majorly successful year, uh, becoming uh, WWE champion. He's also reached a thousand days as a tag team champion over his uh, eleven plus year tenure. But just to sort of focus more on Xavier Woods and Big E, what do you think the New Day has done for their careers? Given that you know before the the New Day, they were kind of just sort of mid tier talent. Hmm. I mean, I think what it's done is because overall it has brought the three guys together and it's it's all elevated them in one way or another. I mean, with Xavier, he got more time on the mic, which I'd have to say is probably one, well, like one of his strongest things is being on the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Biggie, like he can all he has to do is stand there and just <clears throat> do a wee dance, and that's it. He'll get he'll get cheered for days. Yeah, and, and I, I think it just it let them it let their creative side run wild, and I think that's what helped push and elevate them because they just got to have a little bit more fun with it. It's like you know what, go out there, you guys are awesome, just do your thing. Yeah, um, the amount of creative, the amount of creative control they've had, I think, definitely contributes to how successful they've become. I mean, I don't think Vince could come up with half the stuff that they've that they've you know displayed on TV. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ross, uh, Xavier Woods has his uh, Up, Up, Down, Down gaming channel on YouTube. And just recently as well, they've announced uh, a New Day themed podcast to be coming out. How do you think this is going to benefit them in the next, say, couple of years? I think for the next year and a half at least, because Xavier Woods is down with a really serious injury. It keeps Xavier Woods as a prominent voice on on the product. It keeps the New Day on TV, it keeps the new day, even when they're not on TV, they're being advertised on TV because they need to plug this podcast. I think, obviously, you mentioned to Sarah, what did it do for the careers? You know, Xavier Woods was meddling in, you know, the lower mid card, losing in handicap matches to Rusev. Big E was a, you know, 
a silent protector. Even he, he made reference to it uh, on WWE's YouTube channel this past week, going, yeah, you know, NXT champion, second ever. Not that anyone ever notices. That's how bad <laughs> his career used to be. He uh-huh, was a former yeah. NXT and Intercontinental champion. And no one cares. It's, the New Day's allowed him to show his fun side, show his comedic side, show that he's someone worthy of investing time in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so just last thought before we uh, wrap up on the New Day. Are these guys surefire Hall of Famers, given how successful they've been? Yes, yeah, absolutely. All right, so there we go. First uh, best tag team of the of the decade is the New Day. Up next, um, we're going to go to some Samoan heritage, and we're talking about Ricky's twin sons, the Usos. Now, these guys sort of arrived at the start of 2010, so they've been with WWE for basically the entire decade. But it wasn't until around like four years into the company that they won their first tag team championship. Now, Sarah, these guys obviously being twin brothers, you would have expected them to win tag team championship gold at some point or another. But did you take, did you think it would take them four years to do it though? I mean, see when you look at them, twin brothers, yeah, you do expect them to be like, an, like twin, like Sam a twin. And everyone's like, oh, have you got the twin telepathy? And I do honestly believe in twin telepathy, so it, you would actually wonder why it did take them so long. I mean, also the fact that, you know, they're the sons of Akishi, they're actually good wrestlers as well. Mm-hmm. So it just makes you wonder, like, it's probably the fact that they were maybe introduced, maybe at the wrong time when there was so many other tag teams in the works mm-hmm. as well. And that's what kind of pu- pushed them to the side a little bit. But as those tag teams obviously broke up and deteriorated, they were the two that were just like, right, you guys are twins, but let's put the belts on you. <laughs> we'll see what you've got. Yeah. And Ross, their sort of breakout feud was with uh, the Hart Dynasty when they were tag team champions. Now, a lot of people were expecting the Usos to be the one to defeat the Hart Dynasty for the tag team championships, but it ended up going to Cody Rhodes and Drew McIntyre, literally the oddest tag team pairing at the time. So... Do you think this was uh, a missed opportunity for them? I think, um, so I've mentioned on the retro reviews available on our Patreon for, you know, $4 a month, yep. that um, the New Age Outlaws were a team in the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era, much like early 2010s WWE, had a lot of mismatched tag teams and odd couple tag teams and teams that would team for a year and then break up and feud. Whereas the Outlaws were won so many tag titles because they were on the team to stick together and I found it ironic that it took four years for the Usos to win a tag title as you mentioned mm-hmm. because they were the only team they were the only consistent team for a while and every so often you know you saw them get dragged out because Primo and Epico need somebody to feud with and then oh the Hart Dynasty need somebody uh, or you know this new odd couple need somebody to feud with and I think it just as you said, a missed opportunity because who knows, you know, their legacy's already cemented. You know, the SmackDown 2016 draft, you know, that this new gimmick they're in just now, that sort of cemented them as a legit tag team. But who knows what we could be talking about if 
they just pulled the trigger then. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have been, you know, maybe they could have been the longest reigning tag team champions. Yeah, quite possibly. And they sort of started out as sort of like a plain gimmick era, but when they started wearing the sort of baggy shorts and the face paint and really had that, really started doing the haka in those entrances as well, do you think that sort of uh, helped them or do you think that damaged them more as somewhat base characters? It's really quite hard to tell because I, I, I know all they would do is basically paying like homage to like Umaga, etc. Mm-hmm. And like highlighting their, like the fact that they are Samoan. Um, it's, it is quite hard to tell like if that's what could have damaged it or if it was storylines because like around about that time, like they were trying to compete for the, sh- like the tag team championships off the shield at that time. Mm-hmm. And again, the shields were, the the team going on in WWE and like the faction, so it's like how are you going, how are you going to try and solidify this team taking the belts off of our favorite team? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what maybe could have hurt. Like I said at that time, there were so many tag teams. I mean, you even had Cody and Goldust tagging at that point. Yeah, but Cody and Goldust were a, uh, again a pretty solid solid team in their own right. And this was sort of around the time, you know, the tag team division had a bit of a, a bit of an uplift. So, and they were sort of front and center of it, which definitely helped them in the long run. But uh, Ross, I want to get back to something you just mentioned. There, it was the 2016 draft. That's when I think, in a lot of people's eyes, things really started to turn around for the Usos. The Usos, they they shook up their gimmick. They were no longer coming out in face paint. They sort of dressed more like street style, like more like dare I say it, gangster-like style, and cutting much more heelish promos. And this was something that they weren't really doing that often, was cutting really solid promos. Do you think uh, this this new twist to their gimmick was a lot better than, than anyone could have imagined? Yeah, because I'm going to be honest, I hated the episodes. I hated them. I just thought they were so bland, so boring, so like two cookie cutter baby face. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about how they weren't used at the start of the decade. They were overused in like 2014. And there was just nothing to them. And yet 2016 comes and they start having feuds with Heath Slater and Rhino, great matches. American Alpha, great matches. You know, the bar, the shield, uh, sorry, the bar, the Hardys, you know, that Sarah mentioned the Shield earlier on, and it just it got better and better and better, and it was just it, much like we mentioned with Biggie and Xavier Woods, giving them a chance to show themselves. You know, mm-hmm. this this is what that gimmick did. Yeah, and it wasn't just that as well. I think there was one key feud that you missed out, which literally stole the show and well, literally stole the entire year. In I believe it was 2017 where the Usos went on that epic feud against the New Day over the SmackDown tag team titles. Now, Sarah, they um, they uh, were the the pre-show of SummerSlam that year, but mm-hmm. they ended up having a tag team match inside Hell in a Cell. What were your memories of that match? I mean, I, I actually really, really loved that match. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of, like gimmick pay-per-views of where like you just have to have that match just because it's the name of that pay-per-view 
Um, so like Hell in a Cell is one that I believe should that should be like the one to end a feud. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you literally cannot go any further. I mean like Taker Mankind sort of level. But when it comes to like every single year, oh, who are we going to put inside Hell in a Cell? You know what? Let's put a tag team in this time. Let's put a tag team in. And I think the idea of that to begin with kind of scared me. It did kind of scare me because I was just like, first of all, you can't really do a lot of tag team moves. So that's going to put them in an awkward position. But at the same time, it's you're adding in like extra stuff that I think it could have just, it could, it could have ruined everything. Mm-hmm. But I think they're just really, really lucky that working with the New Day, that they've done it so many times that it, it ended up just working somehow because like I actually really really enjoyed that match I think it was like one of the better matches of that night mm. yeah and Ross both teams came out as somewhat cheered by by the fans they almost like Uso has almost turned face as a result of simply because of mutual respect with uh, how much of a good match the New Day put up against them do you think um, given how sort of up and down their feud was we, I mean we got some good matches out of it don't you think yeah, yeah, 100%. We got, uh, obviously, we got the SummerSlam pre-show, we got Hell in a Cell. There was matches on SmackDown multiple times. There was, you know, matches involving other teams. You know, they, they just seemed to, you know. Then we got the fast lane match, which unfortunately was used as a yeah. vessel to get the Bludgeon Brothers over. But, you know, these guys were that good, you know. A, a big part of the Usos gimmick was mm-hmm. we've never been on WrestleMania proper. And at WrestleMania 34, you know, part of the build was we've been so good this year. Yeah, that you can put us on the that, You know, the, the the feud with the New Day definitely elevated them to new heights. And as you said, I think it, that was the difference maker in getting them on the WrestleMania card. So, I mean, they haven't appeared much this year. They obviously because you know they've been facing a few sort of altercations with the law and other things like that. But do we expect to see them back? Hopefully soon. Mm. Yeah, they're. No, I was just going to agree with you. It's like, I think they could be back, but I think just there's nowhere to put them right now. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'd, I'd put them in SmackDown again against the New Day just because at the minute, other than Revival, who they've just feuded with, there's yeah, it makes not sense. many people they've obviously, feud We've with. got the, the aforementioned histories, so I mean, it's an easy feud to, to work with. But yeah, um,. Just before we move on, uh, what's our opinion of the Usos then? Do we say that they've earned their place as one of the best tag teams of the decade? I'd, I'd say so, yeah. Ten years, mm-hmm. six tag title reigns, and countless match of the year candidates, I think. I, I don't think they're quite on New Day's level yet, I will say that, but I think they're on our team that's going to team for you know their entire WWE tenure, and yep, they'll enough. win the Hall of Fame one day. Um, so yeah, that is the, the Usos for you. If you know what's good, just don't get all rated R like your boy Xavier Woods. Uh, but, yeah, but up next, wow. yeah, but up next, we've got a bit of a, I think something of a of an odd pairing tag team, but has really just taken the division by storm uh, in the last few years. You know, these guys. Last time we saw them in before as a tag team, they were in a best of seven series over the course of 2016. And by the end of it, it ended up 3-3-1, like an overall draw. 
but then Mick Foley puts them together as a tag team. So we're talking about the team of Sheamus and Cesaro, a.k.a. The Bar. So, Sarah, did you expect these two to become a tag team, given the, the amount of matches they had in the space of 2016 alone? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when it ha- well, like when you saw it was just started out as a wee feud, right? Okay. And then the matches kept increasing and increasing and increasing. And I'm just like, at the end of this, they're going to end up being a tag team, aren't they? I was like, because it's what usually always happens. People, two people that can't stand each other, at some point at the end of it, will either get forced to go together. It's like, Right, okay. It's it's like when you're trying, like your mom forces you to get along with like your your brother and your sister, <laughs> right? And they just sort of like, tie, like my mom used to like tie our jumpers together, and like make like force us to sit and play. It's like sort of like that. It's like you're either going to be friends and you're going to get along, or no one is going to have any fun. <laughs> like that's that, that's exactly what happens. You said it was just like. That is, it, that is exactly what happened. With you them. sound like Stephanie McMahon talking about uh, <laughs> Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit in 2002. Well, see, again, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but um, now, Ross, these guys were actually the ones to end the New Day's 482-day tag title reign. Um, but they, they only held it for a couple of months before losing it to Gallows and Anderson the follow, at the following Royal Rumble in 2017 do you think that was their first tag title reign was cut a bit too short no i think that was done deliberately because you know around about this time and another promotion a certain matt hardy's taking the world by storm you know contracts are coming up in tna and ring of honor so i think they knew they were coming back so i think this was done a simple case of look guys you've won it you'll get on the wrestlemania card but you know the hardys are coming back so we need to have a huge mm-hmm. tag team holding the titles. And obviously, that actually ended up working in their favour because they ended up winning them back from the Hardys, uh, I believe, in July. Then they ended up having you That's know, right, a yeah. series of great matches with them. You know, they, they had the original match against them, just the single, uh, just the two on two, sorry, mm-hmm. where they turned heel. They had a cage match at Extreme Rules. They had the Iron Man match at Great Balls of Fire. You know, just such a such a great feud and just two you know, you didn't expect to see the Hardys mm-hmm. in WWE in twenty sixteen and you never expected Seamus and Cesaro to be, you know, a tag team yeah. dynasty, which is what they became eventually. And it's just it's just led to some of the best mm-hmm. matches we've uh, had now, Sarah, on WWE these, TV. Uh, Sheamus and Cesaro, they were, well, Sheamus was more of a heel by that point and Cesaro was more of a face. Like, they were kind of the squabbling tag team for the majority of, like, the end of 2016 and into 2017. But it was actually a, a bar brawl that brought them together and they ended up <laughs> sort of becoming a face team again by transition in the same way that the Usos did. Uh, do you think this sort of heel-to-face transition for Sheamus in particular, do you think this benefited them as a team? I mean, I, I actually don't think it did to begin with. I mean, usually the most impact when you're going to have is when you're going to be a heel. like Because it's a lot easier to get people to boo you than it is to get them to cheer you. Like, just just looking at it, it is a lot easier to make people hate you and... That's why, like, see the transition from 
heel to babyface because you, like, you saw Cesaro trying to like influence Sheamus and Sheamus was trying to influence Cesaro mm-hmm. and it, it was just like again like I referred to it's like squabbling children and I don't I don't think like it just it, them being babyfaces didn't do it from like it didn't do it for me personally mm-hmm. um just because like I think like I I knew that Sheamus has tried to have a babyface run in the past and it didn't quite work out for him um, and that he's always been better being like that dastardly heel type, mm-hmm. um, and I think I think it got to the point that Cesaro needed a revitalization. Mm-hmm. So I think like it was more effective when they turned he- um, from face to heel, yeah. opposed to when when they fin- when they did join up and finally started getting on the same page and they started just being baby faces. You can see why it didn't take them long to turn them heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you I think you both make a solid argument that they did come across better as a as a heel tag team rather than faces. And Ross, you mentioned that series of outstanding matches they had with the Hardy Boys. You know, obviously they had the Extreme Rules match, the Steel Cage match. And I think, I believe it was the first ever tag team Iron Man match as well. So having that sort of history making sort of moment, do you think this uh, further elevated them? Well, I'd just like to thank you for coming to the one <laughs> true historic <laughs> member of this panel, you know. And, and yes, um, I think it just solidifies them even more, you know, they're the ones that beat the New Day, they're the ones that were in the first tag team match, they're the guys that, you know, gave the Hardys their first loss when they returned to the company, you know, and then, obviously, you talk about history, they're the guys that got mm-hmm. Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins back together, they're the guys that feuded, they're the guys that feuded with the reunited Shield, you know, there's so many pivotal moments that it might not be, you know, the focus might not be on them, but they're involved in so many history-making moments, and this is all within the first year of teaming. Yeah, you know, and teaming together. There are the um, they get drafted to SmackDown, and you know, I think they're one of the only few teams to win the Raw and SmackDown tag team titles together, and they've won it yep. for a total of five times, I believe. Yeah, four times with Raw and one with SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, do you think that sort of cross-brand sort of domination is kind of what makes them one of the the top tier tag teams of all time? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, you see it with the singles competitors. If they like, say, like I'm going to use Alexa Bliss for an example. Mm-hmm. So she's a multi-time SmackDown Women's Champion. As soon as she went to Raw, it did not take her long to get that Raw Women's Championship. And again, that that solidified her as a top tier player on the main roster, especially when she had been overlooked in NXT by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. So I think when it comes to... Because, again, it did the exact same for New Day. Like, they've been... They were just the WWE Tag Team Champions. And then when the brand split happened, they won it on both brands because they were a legitimate tag team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they had the plan for Sheamus and Cesaro because it turned from just calling them Sheamus and Cesaro and they were officially now known as The Bar. Mm-hmm. Like I think once you actually get like a proper tag team name, start dressing very similar gear, that's when people start believing that you are actually a tag team and not just two people have it, that are just stuck in a tag match together. Yeah, you, you make an excellent point. You know the fact that we're given the the official name of the bar, and the story behind it, it does make sense. It's like we don't just set the bar; we are the bar, and I think that was a really really good way to sort of transition or basically create a tag team identity for the both of them and having the matching outfits as well like they had the the kilts and the the sunglasses and the sort of 
sort of baggy sort of jackets with all the the stickers on them. It, yeah. I mean, it it really made them stand out in their own way. And Ross Cesaro hasn't really had a lot of luck as a singles competitor, but he seems to always flourish as a tag team competitor. Um, so. Given that, you know, he's back on a singles run and Sheamus has been teasing a, a return to SmackDown back as his old sort of fella image, how do you think the uh, the split between the two of them has, like, is going to go forward for the next year or so? I actually think, you know, people forget that Cesaro's on SmackDown because, you know, he's so rarely featured, but... I think with Sheamus coming back, I think actually he may end up feuding with Cesaro. I think we may end up seeing another, you know, a feud with them. But, you know, you talked about Cesaro not having luck as a singles competitor. He couldn't get on the WrestleMania card mm-hmm. uh, as United States champion. And yet, three years in a row, the bar were on WrestleMania and the bar were involved yep, in absolutely. the tag team title match. So. I think, you know, we've, we've raised a lot of good points about the bar, despite the fact they were two singles rivals essentially coming together. Do you think this is one of those cases where it doesn't matter if you've got two two rivals going against each other, they can actually form a brilliant tag team if booked correctly? Definitely. I mean, there's a reason that they won the best yeah. tag team in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they were booked correctly. Yeah. Like, you, you see it, two odd balls are getting booked together. And you just you sit and wonder when's this going to last? When are they going to break up? Mm-hmm. But that's when you actually really want them to stay together. You're like, I really, really want them to do well with each other. It, it felt like they deserved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think they uh, they deserve a lot of recognition in our eyes, at least as one of the best tag teams this decade. So, going on to our sort of final tag team before the uh, before the break. Now, if we want to talk about uh, a tag team that has essentially established dominance across multiple brands like not just Raw and Smackdown but NXT as well the only team I believe in WWE to uphold the NXT Raw and Smackdown tag team championships it is the team of Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder aka The Revival now Sarah you are it's my boy it's my boy I think it's uh, it's evident to say that you are massive fans of The Revival I've always loved the revival like see when they originally paired up in 2014 and they were known as the mechanics <laughs> that's like that was just like you're like mm, yeah right okay but then they revitalized and they had a revival of their career and i think it was only right to call them the revival because i i purely actually love them as a team like dash wilder is like one of my favorites to watch and the Shatter Machine is like one of my all-time favorite finishers, just because it looks so intense. Mm. So yeah, like see, reviving the classic tag team wrestling style as well, because tag team wrestling at this point, what happened to tag team wrestling in 2014? It just sort of sunk in on itself. Yeah, and Ross, I think you know Sarah brought up an excellent point that that's how they got their name, the revival. It's the fact that it it revives. The, the classic days of tag team wrestling and I think there's a there have been numerous people on the pod who have speaking out spoken out against the tag team wrestling that it isn't what it used to be do you think these guys were the the right team to really personify its well for lack of a better word revival well I think with you know a lot of the teams we're going to be talking about tonight that are still active 
and with you know tag team wrestling becoming a, a focal point, I think people are talking out their mm-hmm. arse on that point. You know, let me just get that out of the way. But yeah, certainly a, a revival in tag team wrestling. You know, I think giving them that name because their heels and costs are quite arrogant. It does suit the character because it's like, yeah, we're the reason you're seeing tag team wrestling. We're the reason you're seeing, you know, five star matches in tag division. We're the reason you're getting Johnny Gargano to Master mm-hmm. Champa, etc. You know what I mean? Like, they just, they just, yeah, suit definitely. That sort and you of know, gimmick. you talked about Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Champa. They, they and the revival had some of the best matches that went on to define some of the greatest NXT takeover matches. And I think this is what really put NXT's tag division on the map. These guys, in particular, as they were the, the first two-time NXT champions, they, they, um, they had some outstanding matches as well with, uh, with DIY. One in particular, Sarah, I'd like to mention, is the, the two-out-of-three falls match at TakeOver Toronto in 2017. It was 2016, because that year they renamed the best tag team as well, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were. But no, that that two or three false match—it's one of my go-to's when I'm when I'm feeling a bit sad. I know, like, it might seem a little bit weird, but it's it is one of my favorite matches. And I think again, because the gimmick of the actual match helps solidify the rivalry, because you had the most over fa- like babyface tag team in DIY which we'll probably get to later, mm-hmm. and we had the most overheel tag team. It was like you actually had good teams bouncing off each other, mm-hmm. and they really brought out the best of each other. It's like the Revival brought out like the heroic side of DIY, and DIY brought out the really villainous side of the Revival, that you just could, you, you were left actually wanting more. And like when it came to people saying, I don't like tag team wrestling, this is the reason why I started getting invested in tag team wrestling again, because... I was just sitting for a while. It was just people thrown together, but this were two proper teams. It made you care. Yeah, definitely. And I think Sarah mentioned as well, Ross, that something we haven't really sort of brought up on is the fact that a tag team it can sometimes be just as effective as their finisher. And their tag team finisher, the Shatter Machine, where it. it's a, I think, oh, I remember, Sarah, you mentioned this in the second historic women's show. It was a, uh-huh. it's a flapjack into a double knee face buster. I mean, that on its own just sounds <laughs> devastating. Like, it, it was on the first ever women's show as well. Oh, was it? Steve, you're, you're not doing well with your facts. Mm, yeah, I'm but sorry. It was, it was, it was on the first ever. But yeah, it all was. right, Ion, I want you to fact check this. I want you to go back and listen to both the first and the second show, and I want to see. The and I can promise you it was on the second women's show. I can promise you it was on the first because Stacey brought. <laughs> Don't mind me, I'm just sort of here. The first one I had Marissa, Jamie, Stacey, and Lucy on that show, and it was about us doing the quiz. And I had an NXT segment, and that's how the go home segment started. I should know, I made it. I'm going to be honest, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. But anyway, back to the revival. Yeah, um, um, back to the re- back to the revival. Um, <laughs> Like this was a time in sort of NXT and WWE where NXT was still seen as the the development brand, and I think everybody was just hoping for the day that the revival would be brought to the. Uh, well, I'm not going to say the main roster now because that doesn't seem to be the case. But let's just say brought to Raw or SmackDown. I, Ross, when they made their debut on Raw against 
the new day. But what was your initial reaction? Say, no, eh? My reaction was the same as Corey Graves on commentary, who said, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Because I love the revival so much, which is weird, because see, when I look back on NXT, I never wanted them to win a match, because I I loved their matches against the VOD villains. I was rooting for the VOD villains. I loved their matches against Enzo and Cass. But I was rooting for Enzo and Cass. I loved their matches with DIY. I was rooting for DIY, and it's just like... This is a team I love so much, and yet mm-hmm. I've never once won really to win a match. They're really solid heel tag team, aren't they? Because in fact, I've never seen them as as face characters as long as they've been in WWE. I don't think they know how to be a face character anymore. <laughs> yeah, and um, but you know, despite a, a really strong start on Monday Night Raw, they've basically been very sort of stop start lately because I think they both suffered injuries within their first year. Of uh, <laughs> being on Raw, and then yeah, they were, and then they were basically jobbed out to the Lucha House Party. Like Sarah, did this sort of diminish them in your eyes? It was so upsetting. I mean, I was like Ross when when the when the revival came out the night after WrestleMania. I was buzzing. I was jumping up and down. I was so ecstatic because I love the revival. Like they are, like I keep saying, they're my boys. I love them. Um, and then. When when Dash broke his jaw during a, a live event, I was like, nope, because they, they were getting pushed. And that took them off the TV because there was no point in having Scott Dawson on TV without Dash Wilder. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as Dash Wilder came back, not too long after, Scott Dawson got an injury. And again, that took them off. Like It was, just, it was like first a jaw and then it was Dawson's bicep. Mm-hmm. So in a total, that took them out for seven months out of the year. Which is extraordinary. Like that's seven months between the two of them. Yeah, it's a huge amount. And a huge amount of time to be missing. Yeah, and when you're off TV, people forget about you. Mm-hmm. Like it's just what happens. Like unless you're me and like you're properly obsessed with them, but people do tend to forget about you when you're not on TV. Yeah. Like they're like, hold on, they still work there. Uh huh. And I think that's what's it's kind of ruined them a little bit, which is very sad. Yeah, and also Ross, like in recent sort of years, they've not been quiet about you know being increasingly frustrated with the way they've been booked on sort of raw and smackdown but and every time they sort of seem to be teasing to be sort of on the way out the door they always seem to get a tag team championship reign kind of almost as a as a sweetener in in some way that do you think that's a fair comment to make um i think just obviously back to the injuries as sarah said people forget about you and you know, when you're not on TV, mm. Vince McMahon forgets about you. You know what I mean? Like, because you're not you're not in creative plans. So I think they had to deal with a lot of shit. You know, their first WrestleMania, they were in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. You know, and they, I think they had mm-hmm. to just prove themselves for a while, just for the simple fact, prove that they weren't injury prone, prove that they were, you know, as good as they they say they were and you know the following Wrestlemania comes round they're in the tag team title match mm-hmm. against Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder and you know we mentioned the bar being part of history Kurt Hawkins first <laughs> win in 269 <laughs> matches you know the revival of part I mean, of that, that historic moment to consider I mean that wasn't the only historic moment they've had like because they've also and I did look this up they're also the only ever co-champions of the 24-7 championship yeah, I know they were the first ones. <laughs> yep. 
because they performed what was it, the heart attack on our trip, uh-huh. and then like they pinned them, and then like they pinned them at the same R2, time, yeah. I pinned them at the same time, and then like not too long later, our truth managed to pin uh, Scott Dawson. Ah, uh-huh. and you're like, you're like, oh. Well, that was fun while it lasted. Yeah, it's kind of like EC3's 24-7 championship reign, blinking, you miss it. EC3 had a championship reign? Yes. Oh my In fact, he's a two-time 24-7 champion. Again, I, I, oh, poor EC3, he deserves so much better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's any tag team in WWE history that can say that they've been Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and 24-7 champions. Do you think that's... Uh, I know, given that they've been very sort of stop-start in the last few years since they've been on Raw and SmackDown. Do you think they're still arguably one of the best tag teams given their time on NXT? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I think just going off the fact that they were so successful in NXT and the fact that, see when you look at tag team wrestling, like they are a proper tag team. Like they do tag team stuff. Yeah. They do mean person tag team stuff and it's believable. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and on that note, uh, we're just going to move into a quick break. So uh, when we come back, we'll be discussing some of the other great tag teams of the past decade. Uh, But for now, uh, here's just a wee sort of bonus feature. So we'll be back in a bit. Hey folks, it's Nathan Crushy here. You may have heard that we at Eat Sleep Super Retreat recently started a Patreon. That's right, from as low as $4 a month, you can get access to a plethora of bonus shows and content, including the Monday Night Rewind, where I will be reviewing every single episode of Raw and Nitro from the Monday Night War, along with some special guests. If that tickles your fancy, then head over to patreon.com slash retweet and join now. Both of y'all eat off the table we set. Before the New Day existed, dark matches and pre-shows is all you get. Whoa. So say thanks to the cats who let you mice eat more than crumbs. We should call you Chucky Cheeks. What? Chucky Cheeks? Cause you're bums. Ah! See nothing. <laughs> and speaking of butts, say hi your pops. Because even Rikishi knows New Day Rocks. Remember, we keep, we keep it clean, though, because I, I see how you're looking over there. Yeah, okay. I said this. The Usos and New Day and the wrap-off, I was like, it can't be. What the hell they going to talk about, Us? Oh, no, unicorns and stampedes. What we going to talk about, Us? Big D's, double D's, how you look like Whoopi, and how you say you 5'5", five, five, but you really 5'3". We'll talk about that later. Hey, hold it down. Hey, hold it down. Hold it down. Hey, we'll talk about that later, but right now, welcome to the Uso Penitentiary. Big E, you so predictable. I knew you was going to talk about Rikishi. Hey, everybody know who our pops is, but do they know about yours, E? Nope. Our pops booty made millions. What about yours, E? I mean, damn, bro. Is that supposed to be chest or breast, bro? Is it supposed to be real or silicone? I mean, we done asked everybody all around the world, and they still don't know. Yeah. Hey, Big E, let's just keep it PG. You know what's good. Just don't get all rated R like your boy Xavier Woods. 
What's happening? We are the kings of catch. You're listening to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retween. What a lovely day! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweets. And we're back here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweets. So in that break, you can find out more from our Patreon page by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet for all the great uh, bonus content we have on offer from just $4 a month. Uh, today, I am joined by Ross and Sarah, and we're discussing the best WWE tag teams of the last decade. So everyone from 2010 to 2019, as we're close to the start of a new decade. Now, we have had some listener feedback on who they believe is the best tag team of the decade, and we've had a good mix of responses, not just male tag teams, but female tag teams as well, given that you know we've had women's tag titles introduced this year. So... I think, uh, let's just go through some of them. Uh, Linky Gray says the Iconics. Iconic. Iconic. Uh, the Dust Destroyer Tom Brock says Usos and the New Day are definitely the best tag teams of the past five years. Wouldn't know who to choose for for 2010-2014 though. Fair comment. Uh, Jack Graham says Kane and Daniel Bryan, Team Hell No. They done bits. I mean, <laughs> that's an excellent shout. <laughs> I love Team Hell, though. They were brilliant, yeah. Uh, Ryan Gallagher says, got to be the top guys, the revival. Say yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Adam Morrison says, got to go with the revival, DIY, and the Iconics. I always knew there was a reason I I liked Adam. (laughs) Uh, Charlie Banks says, the Usos are the revival for male tag teams and the female uh, boss and hug connection. Mm. (laughs) We don't like Bailey on this this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Charlie, feel bad about your pick. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, joking, Charlie. Yeah. Our seducer producer, MBEP Kwaku, says the Usos, down since day one is eight. <laughs> that part is getting old, they. Oh, and Paul Millen as well says Aiden English and Rusev, Team Rusev Day. Rusev Day! Yeah, very underrated tag team as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and we've also had, and that was those uh, inputs were from our community page. So if you want to sign up to that, just find it on Facebook and be sure to join in the conversation there. We have had some feedback on Twitter as well. Now, Ross and Sarah, you've actually put your own inputs in before the show as well. Uh, Ross, you said New Day are undoubtedly the GOATs. However, your guilty pleasure is Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. Care to explain? I love Zack Ryder is so underutilized. And if you ever get a chance, see NXT you know, when it was meant to be NXT Revival, ironically. And <laughs> uh, it, it was like the dying run before it became the full sale thing. Mm-hmm. Kurt Hawkins and Tyler Rex were just such an entertaining tag team and Kurt Hawkins was so entertaining. Like, everything else is garbage. But see if you just watch the things with them on it. it, it honestly, it takes about 10 minutes to watch an episode and it's well mm. worth it. Yeah. And I think the two of them together, just, it was two of my favourite underutilised talents. Yeah, fair it is, fair it is. And... Um, Sarah, you said before their breakup and shattering of your trust, it always had to be Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, aka DIY. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that I do love the revival, but everyone also knows how much I love the era. Like I talked about it in the first half. Yeah. Of just my love for the two out of three falls match, and I know I keep getting told to get over it, but I will never, ever get mm-hmm. over that breakup because you never saw it coming. Yeah. Well, we'll get to them in just a bit. Don't you worry about that, mm. Scott. Scott McLeod says, has just posted a gif of the Usos. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, 
John McFarlane says The Bar, The Revival, The Usos, American Alpha, and also Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, such an underrated tag team. So, yeah. It's a shame they, they get cut down on their prime. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the real, obviously with Tyson Kidd's injury as well, that was, uh, I think that was just unfortunate. It was American Alpha as well. I really enjoyed them when they were in NXT. Mm. Uh, they were grossly underutilised in 2016. There's a glory year of SmackDown from 2016 to 2017, mm-hmm. and the only black spot on creative is waiting too long to pull the trigger on American Alpha, mm-hmm. and then not doing anything when they did. Yeah. Uh, David Holmes says, The Usos, Sheamus and Cesaro, The Revival, Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, DIY, Broken Hardies, and Beer Money Inc. Wait, two of them aren't WWE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit, bit odd, but well, he included them anyway. I think he was just thinking tag teams in general. But I mean, the Broken Hardies were kind of in WWE. Well, it was just Broken Matt, but I see where he's coming from. Uh, but he and Carl have also mentioned... Uh, two of my favourites, actually. Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, a.k.a. Undisputed Era. Yeah, mm. I like them too. Yeah. He no, said, no. <laughs> Just to annoy Dave, I'm going to say they're crap. No, I, we, don't, we don't like them, Dave. Oh, screw you guys. I'm cheering Team Undisputed here. Um, Carl also goes on. <laughs> Carl also says that um, Strong, Roderick Strong's also great, but it, Fish and O'Reilly are the ultimate team for him. And they were all, waiting for them to batter him. And they were also excellent as Red Dragon too. Yeah. They had a tag team name outside the WWE. <gasps> yep. No way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that was all our listener input. Thank you very much to everybody who put in suggestions. Uh, we encourage you to uh, keep giving us feedback and also uh, more suggestions on every topic we discuss. So let's go back to, to our list now. And... We need to sound the sirens because up next is Sierra Hotel India Echo Lima Delta, a.k.a. The Shield. I'm uh, actually really impressed that you managed to remember all the phonetic alphabet there. I am. <laughs> this is one of my uh, hidden talents. So Now, The Shields kind of fall under the same category as The New Day in, in the fact that they were sort of a three-person stable, but they applied sort of a free bird rule when it came to tag team championships. Now, Sarah, these guys arrived on the scene in November 2012 at the Survivor Series. And I think it's safe to say these guys have gone on to become one of the most recognizable factions, not just in the 2010s, but in WWE history altogether. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, who would ever have thought? Because everyone knows that this was not the original shield that creative Mm -hmm. had in mind. But... Like, they did go on. I mean, like, two of them are still with the company. and one, One's went his own ways for his own decisions. And But Rollins and Reigns have become the faces of the company. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's undeniable. Like, see, when you're talking about WWE now, you are talking about Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns, sometimes both as well. So, yeah, it's definitely, like, since, since debuting... Like it's been like those mercenaries for CM Punk mm-hmm. that they've they've went on above and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And Ross, they um they had their first match uh, in at TLC 2012, and it as a as a three person team, and it was arguably one of the best TLC matches in history. Given that we've discussed this on our past uh, history of TLC episodes, like how do you think these guys did in their sort of initial match given that you know they were going up against three 
heavily recognised talents in Ryback and Team Hell No. I think they're sensational because, you know, the proofs in the pudding are still relevant, you know, in their respective companies at the minute. And also, when people talk about NXT call-ups, I think the bar is heavily set with Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone has had a better NXT call-up than them. I don't even think it's close. Kevin yeah. Owens is a distant second and he's done so well on the main roster. That's yeah. how good these guys were booked from day one. Yeah. And they've all been collect they were all collectively booked as a three person sort of team. And that was the case right up from what TLC all the way through even past WrestleMania. So, and they had some very big wins over a lot of high-profile superstars, Sarah. I mean, the list includes, uh, well, as for mentioned, Ryback and Team Hell No. But he's also, but they've also had victories over the likes of The Big Show, Sheamus, Randy Orton, and even John Cena. Like, do you think this was a case of too much too soon, or do you think this really fortified them as uh, a group worth watching? I mean, it can be it can be described as a bit of both because sometimes. Sometimes booking them in that way can be the best thing for them, but sometimes it can also be their downfall. Like it's it's like when everyone keeps saying that Roman Reigns was getting pushed down everyone's throats, they could easily argue that the Shield were getting pushed down everyone's throats because they were getting all these big matches, they were getting all these big wins. I mean, it doesn't also help that like see when like they first debuted uh, and leading into like the new year after that, Seth Rollins was still NXT champion, so they were jumping between the two brands as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think like it, it, in the long run, it did definitely do well. But see, if you were looking at the short term run of it, I think it was probably a little bit too much too soon. Okay, uh, Ross, what do you uh, what do you think about that? I think you know when they went off in singles runs, a lot of the time they got too much too soon. But as a unit, I think they were they're very well booked. You know, from their first four months in the company. They only had two matches. They had the match against Team Hell No and Ryback at TLC a month after debuting. And then they had a match against Ryback, Sheamus and John Cena in Elimination Chamber 2013, I believe. Yep, no, yep, yep, 2013. Yeah, 2013. And, you know, from there on, they were, they were used sporadically. They weren't a team that was wrestling every week Raw and SmackDown, you know. They were they were gently pushed in until they became like basically a fabric of the WWE, and then you know they started winning titles, they had big feuds, you know they became the authority's henchmen, which is weird considering some of their best matches as against the authority and against Evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't until after WrestleMania that they actually won. Their, like they each, all three of them won their taste of not just singles gold but also tag team gold. And it was the team of Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns that were the initial tag team champions for the Shield. Now, do you think by default that made Dean Ambrose as the de facto leader, as him being the one with the the singles title? And if so, Sarah, do you think Rollins and Reigns were the better tag team as opposed to, say, Rollins and Ambrose? I mean, see, when looking at it, you would never actually have thought that Dean Ambrose was like the, the forefront of it. Because you can never really determine who was the the main like leader of the shield. Like they always kept saying that they were equal and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you put the tag titles on Rollins and Reigns, you instantly thought, oh well, Dean Ambrose is clearly the leader. 
because he's the one for the single singles title. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like see, I think that might have been like their original their original decision was maybe they thought Dean Ambrose could have been the main guy, and then that's why like when when it did come round full circle to Seth turning on the shield again, it helped the impact of it. Like we discussed this on the Greatest Heel Turn show as well, mm-hmm. just um, how because nobody saw it coming, um, and it's like I don't think um, half I don't even think like Reigns and Ambrose knew what was actually going on in that segment because it just looked so damn believable. Yeah, and I think that's where they they realised that Seth actually was the main event player and they could nurture him into that way. Mm-hmm. So when when looking at that, like you can you can see why you would. Assume Ambrose was the the front guy because he was the undefeated, longest reigning U- US champion at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Reigns and Rollins were known as just the tag team champions. Yeah, and there was a lot of focus on Ambrose. But then you you can see why they ended up shifting those gears towards Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ross, um, the the Shield lasted for approximately eighteen months before. The, the heel turn that shocked everybody with Seth Rollins essentially breaking up the shield. Do you think they could have had a much longer tenure in the same way that the New Day has had, you know, having gone five years now? Or do you think the shield would have got a bit tiresome after, say, or do you think this was sort of the right time to sort of split them up? It was the right time to split them up. Um, you know, as a tag team, Rollins and Reigns had great matches with the Usos. They had great matches with the Rhodes brothers. You know, as a unit, they had great matches against, you know, as we mentioned before, Team Hell No and Ryback, the authority, you know, you, they, their greatest accomplishment, defeating Billy Gunn at WrestleMania when they defeated <laughs> the Outlaws and Kane. Um, In about a minute 30 as well. Exactly. I mean, that, that that's what made it so special. Mr. Ass, always putting over new talent. But anyway, um, I think it got to the point where we knew these guys were too good to be in a trio forever and I think when you look at the amount of good matches Seth Rollins has had since 2014 sorry, yeah 2014 how many great matches Dean Ambrose has been involved in how many great matches Roman Reigns has been involved in the landscape at WWE would be incredibly different if these three guys were still in a, a unit and I think it, it, I think it's devalued it a wee bit because they've done so many reunions and split ups and reunions and split ups in such a short space of time. But I think the original Shield run was perfect and it was the right time to end it because the best time to end something is when no one sees it coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, just one last point uh, on the Shield before we move forward. Uh, Ross brought up an excellent point about, you know, there's a lot of versatility among them you know they could be great tag teams if it was Rollins and Reigns or Ambrose and Rollins or even just as a as a trio do you think that versatility is not just singles competitors not just tag team competitors but also as a as a three-person unit is what makes them such a dominant team I mean definitely because they all brought their own individual strengths to this faction and I think that's probably what actually made them stand out as well because Again, there were three equals, mm-hmm. and you could easily either pair them off against each other, or any of them could have been that singles run. Anyone could have had that tag team run, or if like if they ever ever introduced a six man tag team, 
like championship. They could have easily ran away with that. Oh yeah, like WWE doing their own version of King of Honors. I think that'd be that'd be quite interesting. Well, exactly. If it if the trigger had been pulled around about that time. And it was like them in the New Day. Mm-hmm. Like I know the New Day wasn't actually like properly around by that point, but like imagine like you can just like fantasy book a little bit. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like the babyface over New Day, and like that you don't know what the hell they are—the babyface or the heel shield. Yeah, and they did the have a really tag. good. They did have a really good six-man tag at Survivor Series 2017, the Shield and New Day. Yep, and that was. That was really good because New Day sort of had a bit of an edge about them and the Shield were just coming off a, a reunion. So I think that storyline was pretty good. But as Sarah mentioned, original Shield against over as ever New Day would have been a sight to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's safe to say, you know, these guys have not only furthered their own careers, like become top tier talents, whatever company they're in or whatever brand they're on. Like, they're obviously going on their separate ways, but the times we saw them as the Shield, I think it's safe to say they're arguably one of the most influential and dominant tag teams, not just this decade, but of WWE in general. David, uh, so, sorry, before we move on, yeah. uh, just a wee nod as well, because I forgot to mention it, their matches against the Wyatt family, because they were sensational. Oh my God, how could I forget that match against the Wyatt family? That was, that was uh, I think, the follow- like 2014's Elimination Chamber, arguably one of the best. Yeah six-man tag matches ever. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now, Sarah, I'm going to come to you for this next one because, you know, you mentioned them on our Twitter feed when we're looking for feedback. And I think they are responsible for one of the, the saddest breakups like, in your recent memory. Let's talk about Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, DIY. I love this team, and I always will love this team. The floor is yours. Like, what makes them one of the most talked about and most entertaining tag teams of this decade? Right. It's It was just the fact that, see, when they formed, it was September 2015, and I remember this so vividly, because this is when Champa was like doing his final rounds of the Indies, and he was at Discovery and he was like, no, nah, I'm not going to be doing Indies anymore because I'm actually getting a push in NXT. And they were announced as part of being the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Now, like I keep saying to folk, I'm not the biggest fan of when two people come together. But we knew, like I knew for a fact that these two were best friends, like outside the ring and in real life. Like, excuse Kayfeb, like these two were best pals. Um, and like they, they were so successful. And then... It was like a, it was like a very good underdog story. Like this is this is what I actually did like was the fact that they had a really good uh, underdog story when it came to like being a tag team. Like, they were so successful. They put on great matches with the Vod villains. They put on even better matches with like TM61 and the Revival and like American Alpha as well. They put on like great matches with that, and then. You just keep, see everything just sort of escalating, and again, it, they didn't have their own name to begin with. They were just known as Champo and Gargano, uh, Gargano. And when they when they became DIY, you're like, right, these guys are like a proper tag team now. Like they they've they've got their name, they've got their matching gear, they've not coming in as like separate intros as well. They've actually got like their own music, which was Chrome Hearts, and I love I still love that song to mm-hmm. like this day. Um, but 
I think like I think like like everyone knows that I'm I'm still hurting from from the breakup of DIY just because we never really saw it coming. But that was again the storyline and the feud that went into it. Like I've talked about this until I'm blue in the face of how this was like one of the best executed breakups in heel turns. Mm-hmm. And I think it just comes from like see their experience as well, like from working on the Indies, like working in Ring of Honor and all that sort of stuff that. It nurtured their ability to tell a story mm-hmm. and have that natural chemistry because, again, they were best pals. They yeah. could easily just work out and have a laugh with it as well. Yeah. Ross, I think Sarah pretty much summed it up uh, in the space of just a couple of minutes there. Um, but what I would like to talk about is, and I'm sorry, Sarah, in advance, but we have to talk about how their breakup elevated both of them as individuals as well. Because in, in the same way that The Shield you know, sort of were elevated as single stars following their breakup. Do you think this, like, a similar thing happened for Gargano and Ciampa? Yes, because I first noticed how over Gargano was as a face and as a, a, a singles competitor. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, I believe, two, where he fought Almas in just a normal sort of one-on-one match. His music hits and the crowd go, it's deafening, you know. And then on the, the other side of that, Tommaso Ciampa coming out to no music and the boos are also deafening and it's just, you know, settle. Right. I, I was going to say that wasn't Brooklyn 2. Brooklyn 2 is Bro- they, they were against the Revival for the NXT Tag Team Championships. So Sorry. Brooklyn 3, sorry, when yeah. he fought Almas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Dave. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. She usually goes, all right, Dave. <laughs> um, sorry. I was about to pay you a nice compliment there. because It was also Philadelphia that it was Gargano versus Almas. Oh, God, you're no, both no, no, wrong they, here. No, no, they both, they both fought at Brooklyn 3 and then they fought at Philadelphia. Okay. One was a singles match, one was for the title. Right, okay. Yes, round you. Google that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was about to pay Sarah a compliment here, but now I'm going to just slander her. Because <laughs> we wa- we watched uh, their first encounter, their their unsanctioned match, WrestleMania oh, weekend. Like, yeah. Yes, now I was going to say that Sarah got very involved in it, but now I'm going to say she floundered around like a fish, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that is the nice way of putting it, because I did flounder as much as I could. Were you just flailing <laughs> everywhere? Well, that was the very much time I had my car crash and I couldn't barely move, but I was getting invested because it was the first time that they were going at it. And you can hear it in my voice right now and Ross will just remember because mm. me and him sat and watched this like live. Mm-hmm. And I think to this day that he actually regrets watching a takeover with me. Yeah. Um, just, to sort of, <laughs> just to sort of refer back to one of the matches we discussed in the first half, we talked about the two out of three falls match against the Revival in Toronto. Uh, critically acclaimed as one of the best tag team matches in WWE history, and to have them win that match from being 1 0 down, and the way they finished it, like, it was just sheer. Do you think this was the best way to book them to win the NXT tag titles in making both members of the Revival tap out to their respective submission finishers. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it was a screw you because these 
the, the revival eventually just screwed over DIY when there was the 2016 Dusty Rose Classic. So joining together in like their own submissions, like the Gargano Escape, and I can't remember, and, like can't remember what Champions was called at the time. Mm. Yeah, name escapes me. Uh, I think he changed it at that time. But having them both tap out, that is what solidified them as a proper tag team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ross said uh, they they tell a really good story as well. Like they're not just both extremely talented in the ring, but they te- they tell an excellent story in the fact that you know they're they're really close friends in real life. Uh, I think Champa was Gargano's best man at his wedding, so there's a a really deep rooted history between the two of them. And do you think that contributes to making a successful tag team? It certainly certainly doesn't you know, hinder things, you know, they were such a hit, not only in the ring, not only with the fans, but, you know, social media with the glorious bombs and social media with the, you know, mm. just their, just what they were doing, basically, people loved to see them out and about together, and I think as well, you know, they were so incredibly over, we only got a snippet of it before Champa's neck injury, mm-hmm. we got a wee chance to look at heel DIY, and that works so incredibly well as well. Yeah, like they did reunite for a bit in the twenty in this year's uh, Dusty Cup. Uh, do you think, Sarah? Do you think you would have wanted to see them win the whole thing as a heel tag team? I think just because I was a very very stubborn person, definitely not. Because <laughs> I I again like it's just because I was so upset when they broke up. I was like, don't put them back together, only for me to break my heart again. <laughs> because I don't think I could have taken it. And I was just, I was very, very stubborn. So I was like, no, I don't want a heel of Johnny Gargano. I don't want, I want Tommaso Ciampa to be by himself and them to go off in their separate ways for a little while because they just were together ever since Ciampa came back to reunite as like this sort of heel tag team. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let them be. They were fine on their own. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, before I cause you to start crying again and we'll uh, we'll move forward from DIY but I think given the amount of emotional investment we've put in I think it's safe to say they're arguably one of our favourites not just uh, yours Sarah but I think the whole team share your uh, share your views on them definitely oh, yeah. uh, definitely, definitely a very definitely a very very memorable tag team and a very talented one at that so from one NXT tag team to another let's shock the system now with a little bit of undisputed era uh, more specifically, uh, the team of Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. So, I'm just going to, like, in case you haven't figured out already, I'm a massive fan of Undisputed Era. And Shut the front door. <laughs> no way. Yep. Uh, since they arrived at, I think it was Brooklyn 3 as well. Yes, Brooklyn 3, which was opened by Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Almas. <laughs> yeah, it's because it was basically Fish made his, um, his debut when he lost to Aleister Black. <laughs> yeah, is that, what, then, is that what it was? No, that yeah. was like on the debut episode of NXT, but oh, it was geez. as as a collective team. Like, they debuted as a team, but see, it was the squash matches. Like, they'd actually... See, if you go back and watch... So it was the it was a July episode and it was because it was leading up it was leading up to Brooklyn uh, and I'm pretty sure it was like consecutive weeks that Fish made he actually made a debut in a squash match against Alistair Black and then O'Reilly made the same debut again losing to Alistair Black Jeez. and that's, and like that's you know see something though like 
they weren't exactly squash matches though. They did go a good ten minutes each match, and yeah. think Kyle O'Reilly's was more of a submission-based match, whereas Bobby Fish was a an aggressive, you know, going strike for strike with Alistair Black, and that's what kind of took him down. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah. obviously, they were redragging on the independent scene, but I yep. think, and I think, you know, when they they debuted. Because they didn't attack Drew McIntyre with Adam Cole to just form Undisputed Era. Mm-hmm. Originally, they, they attacked uh, Sanity after defeating the Authors of Pain for the tag titles. Yeah. And then, obviously, we got, as Dave said, shocking the system. Adam Cole joins the trio, and then, you know, they just go on to be quite possibly the coolest thing in NXT. Yeah, hands down the coolest thing in NXT. And I'm not, well, I say that with a little bit of bias in my voice, but, you know, I actually, Sarah, I actually didn't even know about the two squash matches against Alistair Black. And just to think, if that was their sort of starting point, look how far they've come now. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly is the only person in NXT history to be a three-time tag team champion. I mean, Bobby Fish is, he's held it with Bobby Fish twice and also once with Roderick Strong because obviously Bobby Fish was injured for the majority of 2017. Yeah. Uh, and 2018 as well, I think. Technically, he's been a tag champ with every member of Undisputed Era. He has actually, <laughs> yeah. Adam, yeah. Adam Cole under the three. Won that match. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But for what they, um, you know, they always do like excellent promos. Like when they've been around for three years, every time they come on screen and cut a promo, like it's always usually Adam Cole leaving the forefront, and the two guys are as the tag champions. They were his. They were his guys, you know. And can I'd like, I dare any of you, either of you, to name me a bad undisputed era match with any tag team they've had. I mean, if I had the list of matches in front of me, I might just go, mm, "That one wasn't great." But you know, for the sake of it, everyone, just to annoy you, Dave. <laughs> Uh, I, I thought you were going to say they were all good, but when you put them in comparison, that um, you know <laughs> there were clear standouts. But everything, every time since Roderick Strong joined the Undisputed Era, because it just upset me that Kyle and Bobby were not teaming, and I'm still salty about it. <laughs> uh, but one match in particular I would like to bring up, and it happened actually very recently on NXT TV. It was on the bill. I think it was the Go Home Show for Survivor Series this year. They had what was deemed a five-star tag team match with the Revival. Uh, mm, Ross, what was your... Ross, when, what was your opinion on this match? I I loved it because two teams were very similar. It was a slow build. You know, there was near falls, you know, the shatter machine out of nowhere. Mm. That was just sensational. You had, you know... I believe it's Scott Dawson at the end when he just he knows he's about to be hit with a high low and he just looks in their eyes and goes kiss my ass right before he gets hit with it yeah. just such a, a dramatic crescendo and just shows that you know as all this Survivor Series build showed the people on NXT can hang with those on Raw and Smackdown and the people on NXT are ready and willing to fill the spots of anyone who's becoming a bit complacent Mm-hmm. And Sarah, obviously Bobby Fish's injury sort of derailed the their tag team run as of as of uh, sort of for a good bit. 
But do you think, um, obviously with the substitution of Roderick's song, do you think Undisputed Era as a whole still always put on like great tag team matches? Because there are a few that, that spring to mind. Do I have to admit it? Come on. I know you. Well, the fact that you think you have to knows. I know deep down that you know they've had some great matches. Yeah, deep down, deep down, I don't think I've actually ever seen a bad undisputed era match as much as I don't want to admit it. I mean, can I just name a few for you? I mean, Larkin and Birch at Chicago, Mustache Mountain. They had two great matches with Mustache Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dang it. <laughs> but I just don't want to admit you're right, okay? Yeah. Uh, see, on that front though, um, do you think the addition of Adam Cole as the sort of as the main guy of Undisputed Era, do you think his sort of leadership is what br- brings that prestige and greatness to Undisputed Era, Ross? Say that. Sorry, say that again. I was just going to say, um, like, do you think Adam Cole's leadership has sort of raise the bar when it comes to Undisputed Era's prestige and talent? Um, no, I think the the way they've been booked just as a collective, I think the way that, you know, it took a while for Adam Cole to win a title, but, you know, Fish and O'Reilly had a good run with those tag titles right before his North American title uh, win. You know, we had Roddy Strong recently winning the North American title. Mm-hmm. I think just the fact that they're constantly putting on great matches and they're constantly winning titles adds to the prestige of the Undisputed Era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, they're, I think it's safe to say that they're they're all at the primes of their careers at this point. They, they all currently hold NXT Championship gold. Obviously, Fish and O'Reilly being the tag team champions as it originally was. And... I think I, I can honestly say I think the sky's the limit for these guys because they're the peak of NXT. They've still got years ahead of them. And Sarah, I think deep down you have to admit they are actually a pre- one of the best tag teams we've had in the last decade. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to deny that. Um, like I said, I'm just still salty that they replaced Bobby Fish with Roderick Strong. Even though I know that they, they had experience in teaming with him back in Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. I'm going to just ignore that. Because I was still very, very salty over it. Mm-hmm. But no, um, but, but see, when you're like, the, the sky is the limit, but you've also got to wonder, like, how long left are they going to be, like, in the same position? Because there's only so long you can keep the tag titles on them without it getting stale. Mm. There's only so long that you can keep Adam Cole as the NXT champion. There's only so long that you can keep Roderick Strong, and you can only go for so long without. Like you know, teasing a breakup or feuding within each other, like it because it is bound to happen at some point. Like just to sort of because there is going to come a, there is going to come a time when people are going to start getting bored. Mm. Well, you know what? It's horrible to think, but people will start getting bored eventually of it. Well, you know what? We'll get to that. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. How does that sound? <laughs> I go on. See the best thing for undisputed era though. Yeah. Yeah. Is I think. See, in about two years, I think if maybe Fish and O'Reilly go to maybe Raw as a team, Cole goes to SmackDown as, you know, as a singles competitor. And we've seen Roddy Strong compete in the Cruiserweight Championship Tournament and we've seen him compete on 205 Live before. If maybe he goes to 205 Live to give it a bit of prestige and then a couple of years down the line, they all reunite again 
you know, maybe for like a Survivor Series or just a big feud against somebody. Because mm-hmm. I think, as, as Sarah mentioned, there's only so long, you know, we talked about it in the NWO show, there's only so long a team can go winning everything before you're like, God, this is boring. Yeah. 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 Like I said, we'll get there when we'll, we'll get to that point when it, when it comes. But for now, I think we should just, uh, well, to steal uh, Keith Lee's catchphrase, we'll just bask in the glory that is the Undisputed Era. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Oh, All right. Dear. Now we've got one more tag team to discuss before we round up. And it is probably one of the most recognizable tag teams in history. Now, these guys have been around for a better part of a quarter century, but they did have a big resurgence in WWE at WrestleMania 33, no less. And that is the Hardy Boys. Like, now, Sarah, when you were watching WrestleMania that year, I assume you watched it. Yeah, of course I watched it. (laughs) Did you jump out your seat when the New Day introduced the Hardy Boys as the final tag team for the the ladder match i mean yes i will admit like i was one of the i was someone that was like holy crap the hardies are back (laughs) but i think like again this is when we keep talking about like social media ruining the perspective of like surprise returns Mm -hmm. like oh this person was spotted um or well this person was spotted backstage or this person like was on the phone or oh i was backstage and the person like his dog told me that uh, Matt Hardy are going to be coming back. Like that's the sort of stuff that kind of ruined it. So because it, it was in the, it was all over the internet that Matt Hardy's time with uh, TNA was coming to an end, and that he was going to resign with WWE. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no sign of Jeff. There was like no talk to Jeff. It was Matt. Yeah. So I think like when they both came back, like even like the actual shock impact, you didn't think about it mm-hmm. because that tag team match was ready to go with like all the raw teams that were in the ring and then the new day come out and you're like right okay you're in your gear you're hosting wrestlemania you've got fuck all to do <laughs> and you do you got you, everybody got first reps i think nobody nobody thought it was gonna be someone other than the new day so yeah, yeah I, I was ecstatic when they came back so i was like i'm gonna like relive some of the glory years of seeing like the, the most like some hardcore team mm-hmm. people that put like TLC and ladder matches on the map so it, it's still great to see yeah and Ross I think Sarah brought up a point about you know talking about Matt Hardy in particular the fact his TNA run was coming to an end and he was going to re-sign like this was the time where his broken character was was on fire like it was literally the most talked about thing in the wrestling world and the commentators even brought it up as soon as they made their entrance is that things are about to be broken. I mean, that was the first thing that was said when the Hardys came back. Do you, did you think that when the Hardys came back that we would get treat that the WWE audience would get treated to the broken universe? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was right back year there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think... Um, Delete. So, obviously, we, we mentioned TNA... Um, They've left TNA under a they, not in not in a happy way, you know. They weren't happy with the new owners' anthem, that terrible anthem owl, as Matt Hardy called them. <laughs> they were wrestling on Ring of Honor as the Broken Hardys. You know, they had a sensational ladder match the night before against the Young Bucks at Ring of Honor's uh, pre-WrestleMania show. They had, you know, I think 
TNA were happy to let them use the gimmick on Ring of Honor and indie shows. But as soon as they went to WWE, they were like, we can't let them have this. You know, we can't. I think Anthem knew what they'd let go. And unfortunately, it meant that we got the sort of half and half hardies for a wee bit where we were invested in the return. We mentioned their matches against the bar. You know, they had great matches against the bar. They had great matches on TV against Gallows and Anderson. And then later on in the year against uh, the reunited Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. But also we were we were waiting on it. We were like, where is the broken universe? You know, we want to see how this could you know go over with the production value of WWE. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now Sarah, in their, their recent run, I think following WrestleMania they did have a pretty decent run. Obviously, put it, like getting into matches with the the up and coming tag teams such as Gallows and Anderson, The Bar, and. Uh, Obviously, there was a good match with The Shield as well. But do you think, as sort of seasoned veterans by that point, do you think they were almost there to put over like these fresh tag teams that WWE had to offer? I mean, no. I think, like, I don't know what that original plan was for WrestleMania, and I kind of don't want to know. But, like, bringing them back, like, it's sort of like... Oh, if you come back, we'll, we'll give you we'll give you the tag titles, like to sort of sweeten the deal, like mm. that. Because no matter what, when people are trying to coax you back, the usual suspects are big money payouts and a lot of exposure. Because mm-hmm. um, how else are you going to coax them back, like to people that have been really good to them, like because like when Matt and Jeff left the WWE, there was a reason that they left. Yeah, and like Impact and. Uh, Ring of Honor were like really, really good to them when they when they left. So you've also got to wonder like what would coax them back. And the n- most us- the most useful thing is money and tag team titles or just normal titles in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it did kind of it. I don't I, I don't think it put over the teams in a way. Like I think the only thing it did was solidify the bar as being again a predominant heel tag team. Because they kept referring to them as novelty acts. Yeah. And they were also sort of plagued with injuries by the end of 2017 going into 2018. And that's when we finally got to see, well, not Broken Matt, but Woken Matt, as it were. And then when Jeff did return from his injury, he went on to uh, have a reign with the United States Championship on SmackDown. Do you think, Ross, do you think seeing them, like, obviously, in the same way as, say, The Shield or DIY... The, the two of them were also prominent singles competitors as well. Do you think their sort of singles run in recent years was sort of a success? Um, yes and no. Um, we've seen the the feud with Wyatt. You know, the the elimination chamber match didn't really land, but then the you know the Hardy compound match mm-hmm. uh, did. Yeah. Then we had you know Matt and Bray as the deleter of worlds. Mm-hmm. And then that tag team, by the way, could have went so far. That tag team could have done so many great things and they ruined it for just putting over the novelty act of the B team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, 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 you know, the Hardy Boys, every time they've got back together, there's been, you know, Jeff get injured, then Matt get injured uh, while Jeff was still in his singles run. 
then Jeff get injured the week after they, they won the tag titles on SmackDown. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we seem to forget they had a tag title run in this year. Yeah, on know, SmackDown, yeah. On SmackDown, you know, for a full week before Jeff get injured. And, you know, as frustrating as that is, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than what could have been with the deleter of worlds. Mm. But yeah, I mean, not to take away anything from, you know, the fact that they their impactful return definitely like caused such a such a buzz in the universe that everybody was just talking about about them again. Given that they were two of the biggest stars, particularly in the nineties and the two thousand and the sort of attitude era time. Because we obviously knew them as innovators of the ladder match and the TLC concept as well. But do you think the fact that they've carried that legacy forward into the 2010s, do you think they've been able to sort of maintain that legacy, Sarah? I would say in a way, but I think like they sort of tried to hold on to their glory days a little bit too much. I mean, this is how like Jeff just kept getting injured Mm -hmm. because you're just like, right, okay, calm down because you did this a lot when you were younger and it takes a toll on your body. Mm-hmm. I think like they sometimes think they're invincible. I think especially Jeff thinks he's invincible. Yeah. I actually do believe he thinks he's invis- invincible sometimes. I mean, they're both in their 40s now, so I mean, it's they're not exactly spring chickens, right, exactly. as it were. Well, exactly. And they've got like their own families to think about as well. Um, so I think like, yes, they did sort of help put everything on the map. They've done their bit. They've cemented their legacy. So I think they didn't actually need everything that's happened lately I don't like they could have easily just walked away from everything and been happy as Larry like that's what I truly believe mm-hmm. like they didn't actually need anything else now because what else was what else have they got left to gain yeah like, Hall of Fame status so yeah so just one last thing Ross um, do you think it was the nostalgia factor that <laughs> sort of brought them back the sort of the, the prestige they had from say the Attitude Era days no, I think it was the work they were doing in TNA. You know, they'd done incredible to reinvent themselves and just turn something that was a bit comedic and you know home home mm-hmm. movieish into into the most over gimmick mm-hmm. in wrestling. I think just the fact that there was lawsuits and all that was the only reason they were still you know like classic hardies. Uh-huh. And I think you know now that you know. Matt get injured and you know there was rumours of his retirement post the Leaders of Worlds I don't think you're ever going to see the broken gimmick again for the simple fact that I don't think Vince wants to invest in it if it's just going to end in three weeks because he gets a back injury or a knee injury mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah but I don't think I don't think their legacy has been tarnished I think the return garnered more good matches than it did bad matches and quite frankly I think if they got another run just as hardy, mm-hmm. I think it'd be completely okay. Uh, all right, very last point: Are they guaranteed Hall of Famers? Yes, I think especially if Jeff behaves and doesn't get himself into any more bother, then definitely. Okay, uh, you know what? We'll just take that as a yes. So that's going to do it uh, for this week's show on best WWE tag teams of the last decade. Um, one very last point: I just want from both of you, and I just want like a straight answer. Out of all the teams we've discussed today as our candidates for best WWE tag team of the decade, if you had to pick one to define as the best WWE tag team of the 2010s, who would it be? Sarah. <laughs> to define it, 
Yeah, defined oh. as the best tag team just all round. Um, I mean, if you're going to talk about it like that, you've got to give it to the Hardys just because of their legacy from teaming together. Okay. Uh, Ross, what about you? I'd say the Hardys would have been the best of all time, but for this decade alone, I don't think you could look past the New Day. Yep. Um, I hate to do this to you, Sarah, but I'm actually agreeing with Ross on this. I'm also going to say... Fine. You're entitled to your own opinion. Yeah, I'm going to say the New Day... Yeah, <laughs> I'm also going to say the New Day because those guys have just they've done it all like in the space of five years they've stood the test of time they've gone through heel runs face runs they're the longest reigning tag champions in history and they're a massive commercial success right across WWE's demographic so you know what fair play to them but yeah that's uh, that's going to do it for us this week now be sure to tune in next week as well We'll be talking about diversity in wrestling, hosted by the one and only the GOAT, David Campbell. Yeah, it's going to be a great show, actually. You yeah. see the guests that we've got for it. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're tuned in for that. Make sure to find us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. And don't forget also to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Visit our website, suplexretweet.com, for interviews, articles, everything in between. And also don't forget to join our community page on Facebook where you can join in the discussion. And But most importantly, don't forget to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash suplex retweet for all the best bonus content featuring uh, reviews of Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, the Wednesday Night Wars, and everything else in between, all from just the value of $4 a month. So sign up and give us the money. I thought we saw we were going to stop doing that. Sorry, that was the last one. All right, so from myself, uh, David Hockney, uh, I want to say thanks to my panel, Ross. The pleasure was all yours. And Sarah. Thanks for having me. This has been Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Listen, cunts, I don't care what the fuck you think you're doing. Whatever you think is more important with your life, you honking bag of d- tips. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online, you should be subscribing, you should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, whatever the fuck you're doing that's what you should be doing i don't care if it's your mum's birthday i don't care if she's feeling contractions get on it right now